Coming out this Saturday on Beyond the Vibe, I'm joined by Scott Holiday of Rival Sons. Obviously, you're dubbed as the the Fuzz Lord. Has <laughs> <laughs> um, this always just been in like? The, just in the, this this thing about talking about uh, spirituality with music, and I have to have this silly name with the name Lord <laughs> on it. It's terrible. Yeah, leading straight on from that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I want to play slow, and I I was equating this to like um, surfing. So I live at the beach, and I'm like, this guitar turned up really loud through this big amp is like big wave riding so if you see guys ride big waves they come down they bottom turn and they're holding on for dear life they're barely hanging on that wave so any move they make is significant and interesting Mm. as opposed to like a guy on a little wave uh with a fast board short board where they're like they're moving around they're like floater off the top just like cutting slashing all over the wave We never carry songs through. This is the exception. When we start an album, we are in a completely different place. I'll use different guitars, different equipment. Um, We refocus and do a new thing. Like, this is a new thing that we're going for. This was the song that we, we started during Feral Roots at the beginning and went, it just never came back during the Feral Roots sessions. Feral Roots was something else. Such a J answer. Well, he he felt that, I think it is true, he felt that uh, you guys had evolved that much over the years. It would be interesting. I'm sure some of your list, list, that's uh, that's a very roll your eyes into the back of your head for many listeners. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to come to his rescue on this, but uh, (laughs) he's a very good heart and he's a very good soul. Don't be mad at Jay. It's not out of e- ego- egoism, egotism. <laughs> so I'm here uh, with Scott Holiday of Rival Sons. Thank you very much for joining me, Scott. Very happy to be here, man. Good morning, good evening. <laughs> well early evening over here morning for you that's right <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> uh, of course uh you've got uh your second release uh this year uh Lightbringer coming out on uh, october the 20th and um we'll absolutely be diving into that but um first off i always like to have a look at how things began for a musician as i feel that you know it shapes who they're going to go on and be so what first got you into wanting to become a musician and in particular a guitarist? Mm. Um, gosh, I have to reach way back. Um, I, I think uh, I witnessed my, my parents enjoying music so much. I have young, younger parents and they were still throwing parties and having fun all the time. And they were very rock and roll, both of them and into music. And it seemed like, there was a uh, recurring theme where everybody just every every time they had a party, the music revolved around the music. Mm. 
and um, aunties and uncles and everything. Anytime anyone had a party, everybody was really into what was being played. And people would sing and dance and enjoy the music like this. And I, I, I've had to think about it like this because there's not really musicians in my family. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I just recognized that kind of joy being centered around music and just really being indoctrinated and brainwashed with uh, probably hero worship. Like watching watching family members and friends and stuff just be so inundated with these musicians. I think they ended up having some importance. Like, oh, these are important people to them. Like you have families where it's like they're maybe real political families. So you get these get these people that grow up and they're just like born politicians. They're born um people that want to be in government, you know, they're into it. Um so for, for us, it was rock and roll people, you know, and I just thought that's cool. There's significance there for my family. And um, other than that, I was just naturally drawn to it, you know? So I just, I just, I, I was around it enough that it, it made me want to get into it. And I don't know why it was the guitar. It was just, that's what it was. And um, by about 10 years old, I, had some Spanish guitar that I would beat around on. And then that was it. As soon as I had one, it was this, this was just innately something I was connected to, which is funny because I'm watching it happen again with my own children. You know, they're Mm -hmm. starting to play guitar. I have a couple of teenagers right now and um, they're, I'm watching them pick it up, especially my son who is uh, 16 now. And you can see him in the rapture video. He's, he's the, the young man in the in the video for Rapture, he's uh he's just raiding my studio and guitars and gadgets and anything he can like come grab, which is not what I had at all. Um, but he's, I mean, he probably spends five hours a day on it. He's just inundated, and I don't bother him with it too much. I'm not over there guiding him and here's what you need to learn. Here's what you have to do. I'm letting him do it. Like he'll figure it out what he wants and you know what he, he did and he is. So sometimes it's just in us mm. without, without getting too far out and transcendental about it. You know, I think, you know, we carry things through lives. I'm a believer in, uh, uh, you know, a soul car- getting carried through m- many different births and, um, I think musicians a lot of times are people that probably great musicians are people that carry it with them. So that's, it's that thing wants to come out again in the next life. Mm. I think growing up, everybody has that, that first band they really connect with. Obviously you were saying there that, you know, you listen to quite a lot of different music. Was there a, a band in particular that was like, this is my band um yeah the way i talk about this is very funny i combine spiritual life with it in in my um spiritual practice there's a thing called um ishtadev it's like uh the primary god of worship so like in the hindu religion you know there's like many different deities and forms of god you know you've probably heard of like ganesh and shiva and krishna so in, in in different sects of the religion, they primarily they will recognize all of the different incarnations, but they will they will worship one primarily. They call that the Ishtadev. 
my mm. primary god of worship. So I always make this joke. It's I, it probably may, doesn't make much sense to you or anybody else, but I still use it. My family's Ishtadev of rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> our primary band of worship every every rock and roll family has one yeah. ours were was definitely and this will come of no surprise to you i'm sure your listeners uh was led zeppelin that was the ishta dave you know there was like many other gods of worship the stones the stones the beatles pink floyd big one um and so many more rush there were so many but but um those are some very important ones and a lot of soul music and blues music but um zeppelin was a big big uh band for our family mm. that's the one when it came on the station never got turned and it generally got turned up yeah it's the same with my dad he's, he's always been the led zepp guy and it's like yeah. it's exactly the same thing so i completely get it and it's totally eclipsing, right? If if your family, if your dad's a Zeppelin guy, the the Beatles come on and he's like, "Yes, yeah, it's, it's like good. Yeah, it's, it's all right. It yeah. is good, but there is yeah. no, oh, there is no, there's not a slight aroma of a Jimmy Page prowess in this. So it's just all right, you know. I, I mean, like I love they, they're going to think like I love Ringo. He's he's fantastic, but uh, that's not the John Bonham that I love. <laughs> <laughs> of course, as a musician, um, that the the Easter Dave thing kind of honestly goes away. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't wear. Maybe for some people, it wears into their future, and they also carry on the tradition. Maybe that's how it is for you, or for I know it is that way for people. But as a musician, I have like uh, torn a hole in it, and it's mm. I've gone every direction, so many directions, you know. I, th so, I um, think, yeah, I think even. Even doing what I do, I mean, I'm I'm primarily do this. I interview bands and speak with people, and it has it's done a thing where I don't know. Maybe I see the human more now, so I see like as you said, like people have this tendency to put the artist like up on some kind of god tier. Yeah, um, and may maybe then maybe it's not you're not quite as open minded. Like now, I have a much more eclectic taste and i would imagine that's the same way for a musician like if you're just exposed yeah. to more yeah yeah for for people like you and i who are going down the rabbit hole a little further mm. um you go so much further down the rabbit hole than maybe our parents did because they didn't need to go any further that's was very satisfying for them to just have have what they had and what they grew up on and what they loved and Maybe they're still discovering, but it will always be in stone that this is the Ishta Dave, and this is the, the this is who they really love in their heart of hearts, and that's comforting, and that's there for them. But for us, we've torn down a rabbit hole, and it's like, well, yeah, we do love Zeppelin, and we'll always have love on our heart for them. But um, like my family, they're not even that into like jazz or anything, and mm. I'm a huge jazz person, so there's a whole world that is another solar system it's not even a planet it's another solar system of music when you get into uh, jazz and they never even visited that solar system so we're going to be different <laughs> it's going to be different for us <laughs> <laughs> it is um of course you have this kind of real signature instantly recognizable sound obviously you're dubbed as the the fuzz lord 
How's this always just been in like? The, just in the, this this thing about talking about uh, spirituality with music, and I have to have this silly name with the name <laughs> Lord on it. It's terrible. Yeah, leading straight on from that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you have you always had this kind of vision of where you wanted to go? I mean, obviously, we've mentioned there that you know you you've kind of pulled in multiple influences. That, that I would imagine that you've looked at other genres. Has that kind of form the sound that you are today i would be afraid of any artist or i don't know if afraid is the word i would be leery of any artist that says yes i knew exactly where i wanted to go from the beginning like okay dude you are the cherry on top of pretentious and just ridiculousness because <laughs> it's how could you ever know it is such an adventure um mm. you know with art and with music and with life uh, there are doors that don't, we don't even know they exist, let, let alone know what's behind them. So we're constantly finding new doors to open and then opening them. And then inside that room, there's another door. So mm. like this, we're constantly learning and discovering. So I, I had a direction in, in my heart that I was moving at a young age that I mm. can still see today clearly, but it's it's been altered and influenced thank God in so many ways from the, the moment I started the journey, you know? Um, so I, I had, I had some direction if I, if I was being very pinpointed, like with this band, I had a direction when I started to make a band that would eventually become rival sons. I had a direction and an idea mm. of what the values that I wanted it to um, hold on to the ethos and the values and like i had felt like very directly that this um uh, there's still rock and roll but rock and roll has evolved into something different alternative has turned what we call rock and roll into something very very different where almost like for a while in the 90s any kind of real prowess was kind of frowned upon mm. you know and that's weird that's always weird in music you know like a a style which doesn't uh uh applaud uh prowess or or like uh, a- achieving some like technical skill on your instrument but i get it because i lived through it and we were all just sick of people like showboating you know you live through the 80s and you're like uh if i see one more guy two-hand tap on a guitar like with spandex it's gonna kill me and it was fun while it was there but it just ran its course like all things do uh but i thought when i started this band we had gotten to a point where rock and roll was starting to be very thin on the elements that i liked about it rock Mm -hmm. and roll that was still like soul rhythm and blues and blues based like alternative music almost made blues and soul invisible Hmm. there was still loud guitars there was still even solos and there was something rock and roll about it there was certainly a a energy and a attitude that was had a rock and roll energy to it but the thing that connected rock and roll to me is it's birthed from blues and soul and country and western these are like the early genres that kind of glued together to become rock and roll you know with personalities and energy Mm -hmm. and um i felt like that with guitars seemed to be like going away 
it's like real thin. You can almost not even see it. And I, I wanted to create uh, music and a band that didn't forget that. It didn't forget that you can like, there can be a guitar solo that isn't roll your eyes. There can be riffs and fun in, in the rock and roll and power in it. And it's not roll your eyes into the back of your head. Like, uh, not again, you know, and it could remind people that, that rock and roll came from the blues and soul music. Mm. And that was like a, like a light idea of, of what I wanted to like encompass more with this band. Not limited to, but um, that was kind of a start direction for me, which was great when I found uh, I'd already been working with with Miley, our drummer, and we were on the same idea. I had preached this idea to him, and he was 100% in, and we were working with a different singer at the time, and it wasn't totally locking, but when I had found and come across Jay Buchanan, it made sense. This is a a folk singer that's extremely innately soulful. He sounds like a rhythm and blues singer. He mm. sounds like a folk blues, like blue-eyed soul singer, like in the way that you never hear it anymore. So I thought that's what's required. I have plenty of riff and concepts and I can write songs. I need that voice, that voice right there, I've been looking for for like, I don't know, eight years or something. I just haven't found anyone that wants to do it because it's just not popular. That's mm. not the way people are singing right now. So I have to find somebody that doesn't give a shit about what's popular, that they are innately a creature. They are innately a soul singer. Like that's just what's in their heart. And that's certainly um, the truth about, about Jay. Mm. Of course, you were saying that you know you're looking for things that are different from from that period of time when you when you guys first kind of broke through. And going into that, obviously, uh, when when you first broke onto the scene, um, you were using the '99 uh, custom historic Firebird. Obviously, you still do now. Um, mm. At that time, I mean, I I know I never saw another guitarist that was using you know the firebird so why why that guitar in particular or was it because nobody else was using it well i'm i was a real guitar freakazoid before this band and into gear and into getting my hands on different things and trying the weirdest things that's something i've been into since i was a kid mm -hmm. and um i've always been it's always trading guitars and i you know didn't grow up rich or anything so i didn't just like go and buy whatever I saw, I kind of would be able to acquire one guitar and I'd have to trade that guitar with anything else I was able to acquire. I've had to be very smart about it, but I was able to do that. And actually the first real guitar I had, and I've already come clean about it, I, I was in this jazz band in high school and they actually had American Fender Stratocasters and uh, Strat and a bass set that matched. And I was in the jazz band, so I got to take this Strat home. And it was the best guitar I had. So I was, like, using this with my bands. Mm. They actually took a photo of me rehearsing with one of my bands with the school's guitar, this sand-colored 80s Strat. And um, I just... We went through, like, five jazz teachers in the couple years in high school. So they just lost track of everything. And one of the teachers got uh, 
got in trouble for embezzlement of funds and all this drama. And I actually graduated school early. So I, I just decided at some point I had to say my, uh, my hail Marys and say, I'm going to accept the karma, but I had no other way. I just kept that guitar. <laughs> that became my first really great guitar. <laughs> so that guitar eventually got traded and got, I guess, and I've been doing this the whole time. So mm -hmm. I'm giving you a lengthy intro to uh, uh, how I acquired this, this firebird, you know, later um, I, I made before the fire. And by this point I had signed a record deal with Atlantic two in 2000. So at that point I did come into some bread and I did buy a handful of instruments and gear. So I did have some surplus at that point, but um, I made before the fire with a bunch of different guitars. Um, Dave Cobb, the producer also mm -hmm. had 50 strats, fifties uh, and sixties, Les Pauls, um, tellies, Esquires. I have uh, my my three thirty five double neck. It's actually sitting behind me over here. Um, or my not three thirty five. I'm sorry. Um, es uh, 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 my es double neck. Um, so I, I used a bunch of different instruments. The point is, I was a strat guy at that point, and I couldn't do all these songs on a strat. Um, so I had to kind of think what's going to fit between what's going to sound like all these different guitars. How can I like make it work with just an instrument or two? And I started to, I also thought the Strat didn't look the way the record sounded. It didn't make sense. And I know that could seem shallow, but it just didn't go together. The aesthetic didn't make sense. It didn't sound or look like the, the record, even though I use strats. So I um, started looking around, um, combing through the internet and kind of deciding what would be right and doing research on the Firebird. It made the most sense to how the record sounded, certainly to me. And then I thought the, the practicality of it being kind of like a strat, telly sound with those pickups but also having a little more punch this makes sense it might be the perfect instrument and then i came across that actual guitar i'm in california that guitar was across the country in uh new jersey and i just untouched um got on the phone with the, the shop owner and he told me about the guitar gave me all the points told me what he thought about it and i just sent him a bunch of gear and made a deal with them and got it sent over because I thought that's the guitar. That guitar looks how this record sounds, and that looks how this band's gonna feel to me. And it came and I opened it and it looked even better in person. And I grabbed it and thought, holy shit, this is a really big neck, much bigger than my 70s strap. This is a lot different of an instrument. Mm. And um, I just uh fell in love with the guitar and um it really changed my trajectory with guitar playing because i'd never had a guitar quite like that that felt long scale it's not but it feels that way because of the way the firebird is set up with a really big neck and i ended up playing that guitar a lot different and approaching approaching it differently because it's not easy where if i sit with a strat it, it's it's kind of a uh got an easier thing about it 
um, it's it's agreeable. Mm. I feel like fenders fenders are very agreeable in general. You know, the necks are smaller; they fit in your hand nicely. They're just really easy to wield, and um, I love them for that. But this Firebird was like a wrestling match. It was like to get inside of it, I really had to move it and like wah, and I put bigger strings on it on purpose. And um, I equated that to like you play differently when the guitar's a little harder to play, you know? And I like that. I like the feel of it that I don't want to move around too quick. I don't want to like, I'm not looking at arpeggios and certainly not looking at tapping or anything ridiculous where I'm just going to speed play on this thing. Like I, like I have like a Jackson or a Charvel. I want to play slow. And I, I was equating this to like um, surfing. So I live at the beach and I'm like, this guitar turned up really loud through this big amp is like big wave riding. So if you see guys ride big waves, they come down, they bottom turn and they're holding on for dear life. They're barely hanging on that wave. So any move they make is significant and interesting mm. as opposed to like a guy on a little wave uh, with a fast board, short board where they're like, they're moving around. They're like floater off the top, just like cutting, slashing all over the wave. A lot of big moves. This is like fast guitar playing. You know, this guitar is very mm. friendly and light and I'm going to do every single thing you've ever seen in your life on it. Um. And I liked the idea of this big wave riding on guitar. It makes everything a little more significant. Every bend, every the tone, the note choice becomes more important, you know? Mm. <laughs> and I feel like when I look at players like Paul Kozoff um, from Free Year, when I look at like Hendrix even, I feel like those guys were big wave riding. Those big, big loud amps. That they were really the notes were long and big and important, you know. It's like when you hear Hendrix, you get that like, it's like you get these long things that mm. may not make sense or have the power on your bedroom amp, but when you put that through a hundred watt Marshall or two of them, it sounds way different. You fast is not what you're trying to do. And um, I just liked that that guitar, that Firebird gave me that feeling of like importance and like slow down and make it count. <laughs> no, no, I, I agree. I think that's always the thing I find really interesting about guitarists. They, they, well, like the, the the most successful ones, they always have a thing like their angle on what they're gonna do. Like that's different. That may be considered, you know, uh, doing it wrong. Like obviously Hendrix had the thing where he puts his thumb over. Like that's the famous one. And like everybody, like if you go to a guitar teacher, some will go, "Oh, you're playing it wrong, or you're doing it wrong." But it's like that yeah. creates their angle. Then it's like that's unique. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, as you mentioned there, with the the thicker strings and and you know stuff that shouldn't really be on that guitar. That's what creates that sound, maybe. Sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm a fan of what you're saying. Let let people develop. Of course, I think most great teachers do, unless you're being mm. classic trained. You know, I think nowadays we're learning that it comes in all shapes and sizes. We've got 
a history of very interesting players. I, I I like think immediately of like a guitar player like Jeff Healy. You know who that is? Yeah. The blind guitar player who played with the guitar on his lap like mm. this, you know? And you're thinking, how do you accomplish anything like that? I did. When I touch the guitar like that, it does not feel right. I can't do anything like that, but he's accomplishing everything like that. And mm. It's almost hard to differentiate that he's even holding it differently than anybody else, um, except for little passages you can hear that they are different, you know. Or, and there's lots of there's lots of other examples too, you know. Mm. But yeah, yeah. You, these are these, they had to invent this. They had to figure it out. They have to experiment. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, a few months ago, uh, I spoke with Jay uh, about Dark Fighter, and he described. You know these two records in particular as as the largest artistic undertaking that uh, the band's done and him personally. How have you fi- found this kind of this whole process? I mean, I feel that you guys have been in kind of a I don't know what you call it, like a bit of a golden era. You know, you've had like Feral Roots that was very successful. You know, you've had mm. Dark Fighter that's come out that's pretty damn successful as well. Now you've got Lightbringer on the way. That, that I imagine was recorded around a similar time as Dark Fighter. Same time. <laughs> same time, yeah. We recorded Dark Fighter and Life Bringer together. Those were actually songs in the same session. How how have you found that kind of that that period? Like did you like like when when you went into the studio, did you found did you find that you know you just had more material to create two records? Or did you kind of uh I mean, as we as we figured out earlier, though, like, was was this intentional? Was this not intent? Was this just a thing that you fell into? Um, we we wrote what in, was intended to be just one record, mm. you know. But we just had a group of songs. Um, we just spent more time doing it, so it gave us time to write, I guess, a longer story arc as as a collection. Um. And that, that's kind of how it felt. It wasn't intended to be a concept record initially, really. That wasn't the idea. And I think when I say concept record and address it as that, it's still reasonably loose that it is a concept record. This isn't like we wrote, uh, you know, Tommy or, you know, The Wall. It's not like that. But there is a, uh, uh, a consciousness and uh, a theme Mm. that actually kind of uh happens between the two records and um yeah it was intended for for one album and when we finished and tried to cut everything away and look at how it moved and put all the songs together and sequencing it just ended up being uh too long honestly it was just too long it was too much material for one record and it just felt like gosh this is a lot this is a lot to sit through. This is a double feature. And if we make people sit through this one thing, it's like it's like a it's like a three and a half hour movie. It's just too too laborious to go through and feel like like it's enjoyable to me. I don't like records that are like over an hour in general. Like uh I shouldn't say that's really a bl- blunt statement, but I, I think I find it laboring to listen to one statement for over an hour from an artist i think on a musical in a musical sense i'm a big fan of 
uh, records that are 30 something minutes is always really digestible. You can say a lot in that time and it's easy to like see and take in and understand and, and be able to process it. When you start getting into like the 50, 60, 70 minute zone, it's like, wow, it's so much music, so many notes, so much has been said, so many melodies. I don't know. I have to go back through it again, probably 30 times to know what I liked or didn't like. Most of the time when it's like this huge, huge collection, I'll find that I end up taking it apart. Like I like these three songs and that's it. And the rest of it, I'm discounting it because I can't see how it all goes together. It's just too much. So when we looked at this collection, I went, okay, there's clearly this and there's clearly that. There is a side of this album that is kind of illustrating the 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 uh, struggle it's illustrating a struggle and kind of pulling you down to be vague on purpose and there's a side of this record that is an upwelling and kind of recognizing the struggle and pulling you up out of it you know to me those are two different records to me that is there's a record going that way and a record going that way so we divided it up this way and it was pretty easy to do and pretty easy to see as soon as we looked at it like that. Mm. Um, of course the uh, light bringer kicks off with that, uh, just under nine minutes, uh, epic song, uh, dark fire. Um, mm. firstly, uh, why, why is dark fire the opening track of Lightbringer? Obviously it wasn't on dark fire. And secondly, like how how did this song come about? I mean, obviously you've got the uh, the acoustic intro there, and it just feels like something a little bit different from what you guys have done previously. Sure, we actually started writing that song. Me and Jay started working on that tune before uh, Feral Roots. Hmm. And um, man, I'll tell you, we almost. I mean, I think never, we never carry songs through. This is the exception. When we start an album, we are in a completely different place. I'll use different guitars, different equipment. Um, we refocus and do a new thing. Like this is a new thing that we're going for. This was the song that we, we started during Feral Roots at the beginning and went, it just never came back during the Fair Roots sessions. Fair Roots was something else. And mm -hmm. we just, you know, we talked about it at some point during Fair Roots and went, uh, I don't think that's the, we're, we have something else here with Feral Roots. This doesn't belong here. So let's just back burner it, but it's special to us. And we knew it was this big, big piece. Um, so when we started these sessions, it was kind of an anchor. The, the, the Dark Fighter Lightbringer sessions, that track was a thing that we were like, we're, this belongs now. Mm -hmm. It's time. This was an answer to that Feral Roots record. This is going to be something that belongs here. And um, it started out with uh, the, the early movements that you hear that Jay wrote. Those first like real quiet guitar movements. And then um, the rest of it we wrote together with a lot of stuff that I had for the song that I could contribute to him. And we put that whole thing together. Like I said, before out, out at a cabin in, uh, in Tennessee in the woods. So we figured that out. And when we went to record it, we still wanted to leave room for plenty of stuff to happen off the floor. 
So that middle section is is uh, 100% live. That's something that happened while we played and was just part of the energy in the room of recording that song. Is, is there a particular reason to why you've had uh, Dark Fighter as the opening track for Lightbringer? I, th- I think uh, mainly because it, it was not part of the uh, pulling down. It was much more a part of the uh, – it's, it's a real, uh, I think, opening to a chapter – and to me, this song is like very hopeful and very uh, has has a, a upward movement to it. Although it is called Dark Fighter, but the word Dark Fighter 2 doesn't indicate anything dark. It's actually the opposite. And I think this song just really encompassed the beginning of a resolution mm. or in 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 the previous album it needed something very big as we're leaving the, the first record with dark side which is we would generally not end a record like that um but if you think about it if they are companions it's the middle of the record isn't it mm-hmm. dark fighters ending there the dark side um is the middle of the record so it's really dark fighter the song at the beginning of Lightbringer is really the chapter turning. And now that we've gone all the way down, it's time to come all the way back up. And what better way than with this big, huge statement, this nine minute roundhouse that, that I feel is very freeing and uh, almost spiritual for us. And like very, very a powerful musical piece for, for the band. You've had kind of over the years, kind of many great kind of iconic riffs. Is there a process like that you go through, maybe in the studio or something that that uh, that you do? I mean, obviously, like you know, when I hear your guitars come in, it's like instantly, it's it's Rival Sons, you know, it's just instantly. That's awesome. And you don't you don't exactly know um, why and how. I think most of us, but that's really wonderful to hear that that's the effect it has for you. And um, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The process, uh, I don't know. There is some process to it, I guess. I could get probably deeper about it, but um, it's pretty innocent, just like like, um, creation is in general. You know what I mean? When I start writing, I write a very clean, simple way. So a lot of stuff that I write will be, an electric guitar not plugged in into my um, audio notes in my phone. That's how I like will log a bunch of riffs and ideas and changes and stuff. I don't want any effect, no fuzz, no, no anything, no acoustic guitar. I just want to hear like a very simple, clean guitar. How does the movement and, and, and rhythmic value of it feel? How does this work on its own as stripped back as it can be? And if things get me excited at that point, then I will progress it and then rework that plugged in with some gadgetry, with some tones and texture, you know? So that's kind of how it, how it works out for me. Other times um, while I'm working out some riffs with some said texture and tone, I will of course just riff around. And while I'm doing that and plugging things in and hearing things, sometimes you plug 
certain things in and it almost points to a direction, to a riff, to a sound. And I'm just capturing it all little bit by bit. I like to like write that way. Sometimes it comes out in more long form where a section moves into sections and you'll have most of the song. But a lot of times I'll just write bit sections that, that are affecting to me and I'll add on to them until it makes sense. Like writing a book and I'll leave it and I'll come back and I'll hear that part again and I'll go, sure, of course. Well, this is what happens there. After this happens, I hear this happening already. Um, this kind of movement and I'll just tag it on. And sometimes you have to scrap everything. You get so far down with it and you just go, ow, this, this doesn't work at all, actually. So, And then you pull the third part that you wrote and said, that's the only part that even is good to me anymore. Let's write from that. You know, mm. that's the main part now. Everything else gone. But it's, um, it's, a, it's a process like that. I also, I get pieces from Jay. There's his starts, you know. So if I have a start from Jay that I'm just... Um, listening to what needs to be there for, from his song and trying to, um, I guess, uh, interpret what what my role would be for, for his song. And that's a different process altogether. I, I see a lot of kind of upcoming guitarists and, uh, uh, you know, different bands over the years that, that uh, kind of cite Rival Sons as a major influence and, and you as well in particular. Um do you have like any any kind of advice maybe or anything that maybe you've learned over the years that, that that you would put to somebody if they were like what can i do well i guess i need to know exactly what they're talking about like in in general mm -hmm. like what can i do in the business or what can i do on the guitar like sonically, yeah. I mean, like, like oh. I would say, because a, a lot of a lot of people they say um, that you have this ability to, you know, Rival Sons is it's you know it's it's classic, but it's modernized. It's it's it feels like something kind of slightly old school, but also new. Like, there's this interesting balance that you guys have. Sure. Um. I I find that my favorite musicians um I they have a voice be it a, a literal voice it's a vocalist or um a jazz musician or a guitar player or a horn player or a keyboard player or whatever um to me, the connecting thread of what I love the most is what I call they're able, I, I believe in them. That's what I say. I believe what they're saying. Like they're telling the truth, you know, like their, their voice is, tr is a true voice. It's like really convicted. And um, to me, having um, some identifiability, that's a great, compliment that's a that's a thing that's hard to even understand why that happens in players or if i'm doing it and how and how and why but i think there's something to uh constantly taking in the people you feel are the most honest truthful voices and not only learning their passages and learning their notes mm -hmm but it's observing their truth and approaching your instrument 
in the most honest way where you're not afraid to make a mistake or play the wrong note or uh, I, I you just you really want to be eventually careful that you're not in the state of imitation you want to be in a state of speaking your truth and telling your story and that doesn't mean like you could you could hear that and say well so you're saying just don't play anything that anybody plays no i think you play it all i think you play something from everyone all at once and you hear all your influences all at once and eventually as a player that sound of all your influences starts to meld into something that is its own truly original thing where you're like i don't and eventually for me in a lot of cases i'll think i I, they'll say oh this riff reminds me of this or this solo reminds me of this this music reminds me of this is this what you were thinking actually i wasn't thinking about it at all um especially like on these records i think about um influences and stuff and it's not that they're not there and it's not that i still don't have influences obviously but um while i'm being creative i'm not really pinpointing those influences i'm not really trying to indicate them too much i feel like i'm just i'm doing music (laughs) Mm. i'm 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 moving uh I'm, I'm moving shapes and chords and texture and color in the music in a way that feels pleasing to me that I feel like this is like says something that I want to say it's emotionally something that I'm connected to you know and if I catch myself doing something that feels very directly reminds me of something or somebody too quick uh, I want to bend it and shape it in a way that it isn't that and mm-hmm. it, it can't be mistaken for that you know so I'm telling uh, younger players or, or anybody that would ask, I guess. And really, advice is funny that way. And in, in the end, our truth is going to be different. The way we get there is going to be different, everybody. But if I'm just saying something for the show and I'm saying something for you or just somebody that would ask, that's what I would say. Recognize the players that you feel are telling the truth, that you admire. Inundate yourself with them. Learn as much as you can from them technically. Um, play it all. Um, mix and match in the weirdest way. Make the strangest musical smoothies that you could possibly think of. Don't be limited to your own instrument. Don't think I'm a guitar player. I need to listen to guitar players. Listen to them all, but don't be limited to it. Uh, uh, hear Clyde Stubblefield and say, something about that drum beat inspires me as a guitar player. Hear uh, uh, drummers, old drummers like that. Hear Lionel Hampton. Hear uh, Miles Davis. Hear Thelonious Monk. Hear... Uh, uh, 80s synth pop and pick out what really connects to your heart and learn those lines feel those lines learn those rhythms you know and um, mash them up take uh, take uh, uh, an, an ELO and mash it into a Devo and mash that into a uh Freddie Hubbard and smash that together and see what that makes 
And I bet you anything, it's going to make something more original than you've ever done. And when you start mashing these things together consciously, you'll start to do that uh, unconsciously, you know, and think of textures like that too. And color like that too. Like it doesn't have to be the fuzz face with the univibe uh, 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 with, with the Octavia through a Marshall with a strat. Cause we know what you're going to play when you plug all that in, you're going to play Hendrix riffs, mm -hmm. you know, and we know what's going to happen when you plug in the Les Paul with a Marshall, with an Echoplex, with a Phase 90 and a Wah. We know you're going to hit the page licks. Like, you know the recipe. So change the recipe. Change mm -hmm. the recipe up. Plug different things into different things. What's important in this time, besides telling the truth and being honest with your voice, is changing the recipe turning it on its head and doing something interesting create real inspiration and, and something as new as you can and even if somebody else says that sounds just like this to me that's okay don't be concerned it's your journey that you're creating something new everyone's not going to hear that you're the most original inspiring thing on earth but you have to do that for yourself and uh you will always probably, if you're doing it, that genuinely find an audience that will hear it. No, I think I think that's that's great advice, man. I mean, you know, change the recipe. I think that's the big thing. Um, yeah. Uh, a question I would like to to finish on. That I ask every guest. Um, it's a bit of a hypothetical one. Uh, if you could tour with one band from the past and one band from the present, who would they be? Mm, I mean, there's. There's so many correct answers here. There's so many <laughs> things to say. Um, I think, uh, gosh, there's the most obvious ones pop into my head. And it's so corny to, to say them, but it is the truth. I can't, I can't help, but what so many guitar players are going to say is because of the, uh, the folklore surrounding this player it just it's hard to not want to witness a tour with hendrix mm. because it's there's so much folklore around it when i think of old players i think uh it would be cool to see that early on and i also think of uh uh like the highest point of like zeppelin just so cliche but you know, it's still just a thing. Like there's a reason it's the, the folklore surrounds it. And I think we've watched a million videos. I think we know what's going to happen, but just to be present and feel the energy and watch the audiences and like, see how that felt. Those acts are, are high on my list. Those two would be like, wow, a whole tour, not just a night. So I could see their off nights and mm. I could see their on nights yeah, I'd be interested to see that. I'd be especially uh, the megalomania that surrounded both of those bands. Just the crazy, crazy, uh, fanatical nature of it, you know? Mm. Uh, present day? Um, well, I've done some, some uh, a whole handful of touring with, uh, well, I did a summer with the, uh, 
my friends in the Queens of Stone Age. That was really great. I'd love to do some more shows with those fellas. Um, I played with so many of the heroes that are still around. It's hard to say. I mean, selfishly, there's acts like um, I'd love to tour with like Radiohead. I don't think our band would be that the crowd might not respond to our band <laughs> when you go to see Radiohead, but like I would like to to do a run with them. We just came off with Smashing Pumpkins. Honestly, that was kind of a a big one for me. Those guys I mean, were some, really some people. Really... Some people would think, oh, that may be a bit of a left field choice there, going with Smashing. Sure. Pumpkins. Not left field for me as a as a guitar mm. player at all. And growing up, that was a, a group that was really really important. I'd love to um, tour with Pearl Jam. We've never mm. even played with those guys. They were a huge influence on me as a kid, and I think they're still just a, a incredible incredible band. Um, but it uh, honestly, I don't know if there is current like dream tours for me, and that's that sounds kind of boring, but. Um, yeah. I, I, it's not like that, and the the old the old shows I think are just like, um, they're just like you want to like really, <laughs> you want to peer behind the curtain. That's all, yeah. right? <laughs> but there's no think, wrong answers. I mean, touring with Zappa, come on, yeah. who doesn't want to be a great Zappa tour? That would be incredible. Um, selfishly, I'm thinking I don't even know if they toured like Bitches Brew, but going on like a tour with the, like a jazz ensemble like that mm-hmm. would be like so incredible, so like insane. Uh, mid 70s, uh, early 70s, who mm-hmm. tour would be pretty incredible and fun. And there's just a lot of them that would be really great. <laughs> Mm, no no i, I agree it's, i think it's such a difficult one everybody always leans back and goes oh my god because there's just so many things i mean people will probably say about 40 minutes later they they think of something afterwards but um... i mean i could go way deeper and get way <laughs> crazy i'm sure you can feel that but i'm just gonna say yeah. the ones that pop into my head are i would like to see like zap in 74 yes yeah. I would really like to see that. I'd really love to see Hendrix in maybe like 69, 70, that kind of zone. But it might even be more fun to see him earlier, you know, like right when it was when it before Band of Gypsies, even when it was when it was the experience like that craziness when he was the dandy. And it was like, whoa, let's see that tour. That was pretty Mm. far out. They kind of shocked everyone. I think about also like a good good early dylan tour like mm. come on that's that would be i mean it was just shocking the world so hard you know mm. stone 72 <laughs> we all know that tour let's go <laughs> <laughs> no no it, it feels endless i mean jay interesting even better the early soul reviews where everybody would just come to one song like let's go on the tour where they all rode on the bus together and you're getting like all you're getting like seven acts in a night or five acts in a night, you know, of the yeah. most influential soul, you know, like a soul review every night. I'll take that. That sounds an interesting one. <laughs> um Jay went with a quite an interesting choice. He went with the uh, rival sons of the past of like <laughs> 2015 to tour with them. <laughs> <laughs> and he went with the uh, I think rival sons of today. Um because he, that he is such that... a Jay answer. 
<laughs> but he, he felt that I think it is true. He felt that uh, you guys had evolved that much over the years. That it would be interesting. And I, to I'm sure some of your list list that's uh, that's a very roll your eyes into the back of your head for many listeners. <laughs> um, I, I I'm not going to come to his rescue on this, but uh, <laughs> he's a very good heart and a, he's a very good soul. Don't be mad at Jay. It's not out of e- ego egoism, egotism. <laughs> He's just uh, very genuine in his answer, and there's good was, intent behind it. it. It made for an amazing <laughs> highlight reel because we've had uh, people over the years say Rival Sons is the band that they would love to tour with. And then it gets to Jay and he selects rivals. <laughs> so we've got this amazing line of <laughs> if he's good for nothing else, it's 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 the reels. <laughs> well, thank, thank you very much for joining me, Scott. And um for for those that uh, want to check out Lightbringer, that comes out October the 20th. Um the link is in the description for that to to pre-order. And, uh, of course, you'll be over in the, the UK and uh, on the 13th of October. It's a Friday as well, Friday 13th. So that's Starting always... the tour on Friday the 13th <laughs> yeah. at the Roundhouse. Yeah. Let's go, right? <laughs> so, yes, uh, for people that are feeling brave, uh, you can go and grab your tickets for that uh, then. Thank you very much, Scott. I really appreciate it, man.